Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now yeah 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 recording in progress thank you i don't know what's going on okay I'm not sure. What's it don't going matter. On. I know it doesn't so matter, but like so it distracts me sometimes because I look in the in the camera thing and I'm like, what's what's happening with this like Elvis? Welcome to I'm sorry what the podcast. This is episode 119. Christina is listening to outside sounds. That's Christina. I'm Amanda. I'm Thank sorry you for listening. I could hear my niece in the she's singing along. far living room singing along and it's actually very creepy because it echoes through this long ass house of ours. So it's just this haunting like high pitched child <laughs> sound that I can't hear. I don't know even what she's saying. So it's just like a yeah, but it's like from far away and slightly echoey because it's in our long ass house. So it's just creepy sounding all of a sudden. I was like, oh, oh, oh God. There's children here. I forgot. <laughs> children. Oi, how's it going? What's up? Good. Uh, not much. Okay. Yesterday, we uh, we had our Christmas weekend with Tessa. So we made eight dozen Christmas cookies. Ooh. And then we went to the Yuletide Village where the Renaissance Fairgrounds are. They turn it into like a medieval Christmas village. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we went to that and she saw Santa and then it was freaking cold. So we came home and today we are frosting all the cookies and having pizza. So nice, nice. Other than that, I worked. So very exciting. It's my exciting life. I how are you? I don't have any other like wild updates. Um, I'm a little hungover and tired today. (laughs) Uh, We we celebrated christmas and delaney's birthday this weekend with uh, the girls so all of the kids are here and so we got a full house and i'm you know we played games and i drank accidentally and um it was fun it was a good time but uh sheldon smashed delaney's face into her cake <gasps> it was hilarious oh, okay and then after that um Sheldon was joking around was like Delaney you can you know you can do it to me ha 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 and Delaney's like okay sounds you know like okay ha 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 and like he was leaning over the cake and when she went she was like I don't like you know hesitant Brandon just comes up and slams his face into the cake like you could hear his face hit the table underneath the cake that was pretty funny oh no (laughs) payback's a bitch (laughs) it's been fun other than that, uh, I worked some this week. We had like a Chris's work Christmas party. Emmett had a school concert. You know, all that stuff that happens these like next three weeks. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple of our Christmases done and over with. So nice. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's making inappropriate hand gestures at the camera. I am not. I would never. I would never. All right. Should we... Uh... We're both tired. Should mm-hmm. we get this shit going? Well, it's like 6 a.m. So yes, it's, yes, I think so. Oh, sorry. I was about to say it's 7 here. And then I got really confused because I'm looking at my work computer screen next to me. And it says 618 because it's in central time. And I'm like, wait, did you get up at 5? Like, wait, <laughs> what time is it? I'm so confused. I live in perpetual confusion as to what time it is because you work in one time zone. And I work live in, in the one other. time zone and live in another. And it is so confusing when I'm like, I look at my phone on my break and I'm like, oh, yes, it's two o'clock. I only have an hour left. And then I look at my work computer and I'm like, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. It's noon and I have three hours or. Not new, whatever, whatever, you know what I mean. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It takes a whole hour away from your freedom. Yeah, just yeah. ruins my ruins my day. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you ready to tell me a story there, bud? Yeah, I am. I don't know how to like. You ready to tell me a story there, bud? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to like describe this in a title, so I'm not going to tell you what I'm just going to start talking. So I'm going to tell you about uh, Robert William Fisher was born on April 13th in 1961, Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, his parents divorced in 1976 uh, when he was 15. And after this, he and his sisters went to live with their father. Yeah. According to his friends and relatives, the divorce was like super turbulent and like really affected him. A lot uh, of high emotions. He was very bitter about the divorce and the fact that his mother left and he had very bitter emotions towards his mother. He said his life would be totally different if his mother had just stayed with them. Okay. Weirdo. Uh, so he enlisted in the U- um, U.S. Navy and wanted to become a part of the seals but was not successful Uh, he was very outdoorsy he was a hunter and a fisherman he worked as a firefighter in california and then was forced to retire after a back injury okay he then moved to arizona and started to go to school for the medical field uh he worked as a surgical catheter technician and a respiratory therapist and he was a surgical tech at mayo clinic in scottsdale arizona okay the other at the other big gay yep Um, yeah the scottsdale and then the one in florida and the one in minnesota the one in florida he then moved to arizona oh wait no i already (laughs) again he moved to arizona again just kidding he's already in arizona uh (laughs) some point during all that he married mary cooper in 1987 he was described as by friends and family of their marriage that he was cruel and controlling towards basically his family he was very um kind of a tyrant yes and he was reported to have exhibited some like disturbing and violent behavior and he was unfaithful to his wife they were very they had a very tumultuous relationship as well they fought about like everything under the sun sex and money everything in between Mm -hmm. Uh, she Uh, mary eventually found a job and she told her friends it was her security fund mm -hmm, so she could leave without being stuck yes so the couple had two children um bobby and Brittany. uh fisher was extremely embarrassed that his son bobby did not like to hunt or fish uh he also would not allow the walls in the house at all to be painted so this is just kind of showing how like controlling he was everything was white in the house this is a very strict plane vita saying asshole um dick (laughs) (laughs) jesus and he would only allow like a certain number of pictures on the wall uh his wife's mother would make like these beautiful like craft hanging wall things and she'd give them to her give them to mary for christmas and stuff like that and he would not let her hang them up and then like would want her to throw them away because she kept them in storage dude i punch him get yes um like i said earlier he was an outdoorsman he was a hunter since he was a young adult friends later reported that they noticed him exhibiting like some weird behavior on hunting trips uh in one case after killing an elk he began to smear his blood on his face Ew, Um, dude. And then on at least one occasion, he snuck up behind a family that was picnicking and just emptied his gun up into the air to scare them. Dude, he needs to just not. It's just, uh, no. That's not. Just take a gun away from that man, you know? (laughs) Yep. He also Uh, shot a stray pit bull. He claimed that he shot it because it attacked his lab. Uh, But police maintain that he basically orchestrated the encounter and then wanted to shoot the dog, so we shot the dog. Bullshit. In 1998, he went. Fisher, the Fishers went to the senior pastor for marital counseling at their church. After telling uh, Robert, after Robert suggested it, after telling a coworker about a one night affair with a prostitute he met in a massage parlor, so he got a happy ending. Sounds um, like he might have got a couple. <laughs> and after talking to after talking to the coworker, he was afraid Mary would find out. That it was the cause of a urinary tract infection that left him ill for several days. So they, he's like, we should just go to marriage counseling. He like wanted to get in front of it in case she found out. The fuck? Okay. He also told a hunting companion that he was renewing his commitment to his faith 
and marriage because he could not live without his family, kind of hinting that he would consider suicide over divorce. According to psychologists, an intense fear of loss is not unusual among individuals who are traumatized by divorce and adolescence. Okay, but... No. like 50% of the people in the world have divorced parents. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm just saying that it's common in people. Well, and I mean, everybody copes differently because depending on how his brain computes everything, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, but still, okay. (laughs) However, Mary's friends had reported that she was going to divorce and leave Fisher. All right. So the catalyst of whatever you're going to tell me. (laughs) Despite telling his friends of his renewed renewed commitment to his faith, he had begun to withdraw. Um, He wouldn't go to like, Mary would take the kids and go to like the Sunday school events and stuff like that. And Robert wouldn't be there. And he was just kind of slowly like backing out of family life. Okay. And then on April 10th, 2001, at 8.42 a.m., the Fisher's family home exploded. Oh, well, all right. So firefighters were immediately alerted to the explosion, which was strong enough to collapse the front brick wall and rattle the frames of neighboring houses for one and a half miles. Holy shit. In all directions. Uh, before firefighters arrived, neighbors used garden hoses to try to keep the flames oh. under control. Um, and firefighters kept the 20-foot high blaze from spreading to other houses because that's basically all they could do is just keep it from spreading to the other houses is that the point of there's no extinguishing this this moment but we need to at least contain it Mm -hmm. um a series of smaller secondary explosions believed to have been caused by either like rifle ammunition or paint cans forced them to like keep their distance so Mm -hmm. there was no like going into the house or anything like that um one suffered minor injuries when to his leg when he lost his balance and fell near the blaze when they were kind of walking around the house um they realized that the gas line from the back of the house's furnace had been pulled um so this wasn't just an accidental something is leaking it was a Mm -hmm. intentional leak so as police began to investigate the explosion a neighbor reported hearing a loud argument coming from inside the fisher home at 10 p.m on april 9th approximately 10 hours before it exploded into flames um once they got it under control and out Inside the wreckage, the burned bodies of a woman and two children were found lying in the bed. They were identified as Mary, age 38, Brittany, age 12, and Bobby, age 10. Mary Fisher was shot in the back of the head, and Brittany and Bobby's throats were slashed from ear to ear. Holy shit. Police theorized that the murders took place between 9.30 and 10.15 p.m. because at 10.43 p.m., Fisher was spotted at an ATM camera where he withdrew $280, and Mary's Toyota 4Runner was in the background. Uh, It is possible that Fisher later returned to the house to commit the murders, but police believe that they had already been taken place because by then because he was using Mary's car. Right. Oh. So they believe that the accumulating gas from the pulled line was later ignited by a candle that Fisher had allegedly lit. So he pulled the line, lit a candle. And then just waited for the gas to accumulate in the house um, and descended the flame hours after being lit. So it gave him plenty of time to like skedaddle. So it was like a timer on a bomb. That's wild. Mm -hmm. It was basically a delayed fuse would have given him an approximate 10 hour head start. It's time to get up. I need to be quiet because Emmett's room is right next to my office. That just, I just cackled real loud because it scared me and I got nervous. Okay. I'm sorry. Anyway. So this what amounted to basically a delayed fuse would have given him an approximate 10 hour head start in an attempt to evade law enforcement. Damn. I'm gonna make sure I didn't just snooze that and it's not gonna surprise us again. (laughs) Dude, for real though, my heart like (laughs) I had to laugh, otherwise I was gonna scream. (laughs) Listen, I was in my I had my phone in my hand and I went like this. okay fisher's decision to have the house like blow up Mm -hmm. is believed to have been an attempt to conceal obviously the deaths of his children and his wife and possibly to cause police to believe that he had died oh hoping that it would incinerate enough to where you couldn't really 
Mm-hmm. Tell that they're, yeah. They believe that he f- murdered his family because he felt threatened by Mary's intent to divorce him and did not want Brittany and Bobby to go through what he did as a child. So he disappeared at the time of the murders and was named as the official and to date only person of interest in the case on April 14th, 2001, uh, when Arizona Department of Public Safety officers were instructed to put out an APB to arrest him. On April 20th, the last physical evidence of his whereabouts surfaced. Oh, by the way, they never caught him. Oh, really? Yeah, he's still out and about. Is he on like America's Most Wanted list? Yeah, and he was on the top (gasps) 10. What? Okay. Interesting. On April 20th, the last physical evidence of his whereabouts surfaced, um, and that was when police found Mary's Toyota 4Runner in Tonto National Forest near the towns of Young in Payson, Arizona, uh, 100 miles north of Scottsdale. Uh, The family dog, Blue, was found outside the car, alive, but like just tied up, and he was like emaciated because... Yeah, I'm like, if you're going to just abandon him, don't tie him up. Just let him roam free. He'll hunt and find you find something yeah or kid so the spot on which the toyota (laughs) the spot on which the toyota was discovered was located less than a mile from the fort appalachian indian reservation but the police were never able to search it because it's Mm, yeah yeah. because it's reservation land a couple reported seeing a man resembling fisher walking along the nearby young road several days before the discovery of the truck According to them, when the woman saw him, she said to her husband, that looks a lot like Robert Fisher, because there had been like news stories and stuff. However, they waited until after the truck was found to report the tip. Well, I'm sure they were like, okay, how random would it be that he's just here? Um. So Lori Greenback, uh, acquaintance of the Fisher family, said that her husband had gone camping with Fisher in that same area where the truck was found. Shortly before April 10th, she said that her husband believed that Fisher was scouting the area with the way he acted because wow. he was he would like walk around and like mm-hmm. plot all the different areas and stuff like that. Interesting. So on July 19th, a state arrest warrant was issued in Phoenix, charging Fisher with three counts of first degree murder and one count of arson. On June 29th, 2002, he was named by the FBI as the 475th fugitive to be placed on the 10 most wanted list. He also was on America's Most Wanted, Dirty Dozen, the list of its most notorious fugitives, and was profiled in The Hunt with John Walsh. The FBI offers a $100,000 reward for information leading to his capture, but by April of 2003, they had received hundreds and hundreds of leads, and all reported sightings of Fisher had either been inconclusive or false. Um, Some people living in his old neighborhood reported seeing a man resembling him driving around the area, but they never could corroborate that. However, just this November, November 3rd, 2021, he was removed from the FBI's time. 10 most wanted list and replaced by Yulon Adene Achaga Karia. Sorry, what? He's the, <laughs> God bless you. He was the alleged leader of MS 13 in Honduras. Oh, so, okay. Uh, basically, they said because of the extensive publicity F- Fisher's case received during his nearly 20 years on the list has not resulted in any successful location or capture, and the case no longer fulfills that requirement. Um, the FBI said despite his removal from the top 10, he still remains a wanted fugitive. He is considered armed and extremely dangerous and has ties to Florida and New Mexico. The case has attracted significant attention and numerous theories have spawned about what ultimately happened to him due to in part to factors such as the length of time that has gone by since his disappearance and the small amount of money that Fisher is believed to have had with him and the fact that he had spoken of ending his life before there has been speculation that he committed suicide. So he may have gone yeah. out into the woods and just killed himself. That's what I was thinking because his friend had talked about how he had talked about possibly hinting at killing himself. And I was like, I mean, if he's roaming around these like wilderness areas, I wouldn't be surprised if he just found a spot to just. Right. And because it's so dense that mm-hmm. um, they, his body was never found. Um Others disagree and maintain that he most likely survived. And if that is the case, he probably assumed an identity and started a new life. Right. And that Very... is the case of Robert Fisher and the murder of Mary, Bobby, and Brittany Fisher. This this feels very like possibly John List-esque. 
where like in five years or something he's just gonna show up with a totally new family and be like hold hold on you wait a minute here sir you bugger you little bugger hey good one thank you and it's totally like because this was between 2001 2003 and then there was the update um, on the 20 update on 20 yeah uh, 2021 i'm like it's very likely that he's still out there out and about being 50 50 shot that he's either alive Uh, with a (laughs) he's either is or is not (laughs) schrodinger's cat man yeah Uh mm-hmm Till you open the box, neither the cat is neither alive nor dead. Nor dead. It's just a cat, man. <laughs> it's just a cat looming in the world. Alright, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Is it is it your turn? Do I have to listen? I mean, you could leave if you want to. Okay, I guess. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So this is a fucking roller coaster. So be warned. Um I found this and it's uh long, so we're gonna go for three parts, everybody, just so we're all aware. It's a three-way. Amanda's um, gonna Amanda's gonna present us with a three-way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm very intrigued by it. So I may look more into it because I it may turn it into a four-way. Maybe. It's gonna be like Ooh. on last podcast where they're like, Well, this was supposed to be a two-parter, but it's gonna be a three-parter. And then it's <laughs> This is a three-parter. Now it's going to be a four-parter. Because now we have an update and we need to discuss that. So um, I'm going to tell you about Kathleen Fulvig, who is also known as Australia's worst serial killer, woman serial killer. Okay. Female. All right. So Kathleen Fulvig was born June 14th of 1967 in Balmain, New South Wales. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, To her parents, Thomas john brighton or britain can't decide it sounds better but there's two t's brighton (laughs) right (laughs) and he was known as taffy which i thought was kind of funny and then kathleen donovan was her mother so in the beginning it gets a little weird and um hard to i'm gonna try my best to like say which kathleen i'm talking about both kathleen Yep, and I'm going to uh, try to call Kathleen Fulbig, our main character, Kathy, if I can remember, because I didn't switch that until like later in the research, if that makes yeah. sense. Just so we can def- define who we're talking about. They're not around together for long, so don't worry. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. So uh, Brighton, or Britain, whatever, um, was a job hopper because he had a bit of a temper, uh he would get into fights at work and get fired uh for some time he was a hitman he said which seemed to fit his very violent tendencies we'll say uh he married another woman before kathleen senior Mm -hmm. and her name was margaret but in 1952 thomas slipped margaret's throat um (laughs) oh well that we're just jumping right into it escalated quickly (laughs) yes we're just kind of laying the groundwork on how great thomas's and how great the background of this main character is i'm sorry but this man had a wife slit her throat got another wife and i can't even get a call back and a girl (laughs) you don't want a guy like this let's be honest here (laughs) you're right you're right thomas was only in prison for like nine months for this because she didn't die what you do in australia yeah. Oh, it's one of those fun attempted ones. So you slit her throat, but you're bad at it. So, so you don't you have get to go to jail. a lesser sentence. <laughs> Sorry, maybe next time. Sorry, <laughs> you suck at life. God. So uh, this is when Kathleen Sen- when he met Kathleen Sr. after he got out of prison. She was an alcoholic, um, non-functional too. So she would literally just go into a stupor and not be able to work didn't want to be around the house didn't want to do anything uh and kathleen jr so kathy was basically taken care of by other family members in her early life so she was passed around a lot when she was born to like oh grandma aunt and uncle Mm -hmm. wherever she could land when her mom was in this drunken not doing anything and her dad was working to try to do something with his life but he was job hopping it's a lot there's just a lot of things happening to this poor human small human who had no choice 
1968, her mother left the baby with her father or left the baby and her father because of the abuse that Thomas was putting her through quotes. Okay. Um, so she left the baby with him. Makes sense. Uh, but Thomas said that it was just because she wasn't prepared for the responsibilities of having a small child. She still wanted to party and be dumb. So she just left. So he's like, no, I didn't abuse her in any fashion, which I doubt is true. But I feel like it's like a combination of those two things, you know? Sounds like a narcissistic personality making I, an excuse for their abuse victim to leave. But at mm-hmm. the same time. Right. She, she also was a partier that, that didn't want to do anything. So I'm like, eh, it's kind of like in between probably. Right. Um, so December 8th of 1968, baby Kathy was about a year and a half at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas went to the house that Kathleen Sr. was staying at and sat there and waited. Oh, and when she, Yeah, uh, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so... When she got there, he confronted her about leaving him and it broke into an argument, which broke into a fight, which ended in him stabbing her. Everything that I read said that um, it said killed her with a knife. So I don't know if there's like stab or like slit her throat or something. Killed her with a knife. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, so a knifing, but does that mean stabbing, slitting? Like, is there a weird combination? And that's why they just say that or what? Thomas, you're very stabby. Either way. He now slit his ex-wife's throat and now murdered Kathleen Sr. Thomas was obviously arrested Mm -hmm. and ended up serving 15 years in prison. And baby Kathy was sent to live with her aunt and uncle at this time. But they were not prepared prepared to handle a toddler. They were like, we can't do this. We're not in a place where we can take care of her. So she got put into foster care. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I know even imagine doing that like that's even if I were no I would figure it out that's my niece that's what I'm saying I'm like how do you get this one and a half year old who just had her dad murder her mom and keep her for like two weeks and go just kidding we can't handle this well and you can't judge because maybe they felt that it'd be better for her or whatever but at the same time I'd be like oh my god I can't Right. Well, and I, it could also be that they're looking at this, like, um, put her in the foster system to get adopted. So she doesn't have to be connected to this murder of her mother and whatever for the rest of her life too. So there might be like other factors, but I agree. I'm in the same boat where I'm like, how do you just be like, we can't handle this and send her off. Good luck. Right. Um, so yeah, I totally get that. Uh, so she was bumped around until she was about three years old and that's when she was placed with Neville and Deandra Longbottom (laughs) and their last name is Marlboro and it's spelled just like the cigarettes (laughs) Um, who had children who were already grown the youngest one being 15 and still in the house which was Leah she'll come up later in like part three okay (laughs) Um, this seems like a really good fit in the house they they were super loving they treated her like they were she was her their own um but she still had like she had terrible temper tantrums and would freak out over like really small things and understandably so she you don't know what she saw how she was raised she probably didn't make any connection with her family considering she was bumped around so much Mm -hmm. in her early like connective years you know um but they said that overall she was a decent kid she didn't Mm -hmm. have it like small child she didn't have any like major issues they were surprised at how well she adjusted um but when Kathy when Kathy became a teenager Deandra and her kind of butt heads which is normal for moms and teenagers right right um but they butted heads enough to where in 1982 when Kathleen when Kathy was 15 she ended up just like moving out and she quit school and she got a job and just lived on her own as a teenager well and that seems weird here but like in Canada in 16 you're considered an adult and you can rent an apartment and move out well that's, so I'm sure that's how it is kind of in Europe too mm-hmm. so <clears throat> 
this is when she managed to find out that she was adopted because apparently she was never told okay so this caused an even bigger rift and she basically just um she detached she found out about what happened with her mother because she hadn't known that Mm -hmm. um and just kind of you know it just was one of those things that was like you're lying to me about like my entire life about who I am as a human and so she just I wouldn't say she completely cut off contact because she didn't but she definitely was just like okay well I'm not gonna she was out of my way yeah so then in 1984 when she was 17 ish um, she got into contact with her aunt and uncle, the ones that took care of her for that chunk of time between the murder happening and going into foster care. Um, and she was super frustrated that she had it had been kept from her. She, like I said, pretty much cut off contact. And then while working at an Indian restaurant in 1985, Kathy met Craig Fulbig. So here in comes Craig Fulbig, another main character in this. Okay. Um, and as it always goes, they were pretty much just attached the, after that, like there was no, they were kind of just, they fell right away. It was a very quick relationship of getting super comfortable. Um, they were always together. They would go dancing. They go to parties. They just fell in love. Okay. So they were married in 1987. So a couple of years later, they got married, um, and they were living in Newcastle at this point. In 1988, Kathy got pregnant and Craig was so excited because he just always wanted to be a dad. He was one of those guys. He was so in love with Kathy and just so happy to um, start a family with her. And he seems he seems like he's one that gives everything when he Mm -hmm. fell in love. He was just like, "Okay, I'm all in. Let's do it. Whatever. Yeah. So Caleb Gibson Fulbig was born February 1st of 1989. He was healthy and had no complications during birth. Soon they had, soon though, after his birth, they did find that he had a bit of a hard time breathing while he was breastfeeding. So they took him to a doctor and he was diagnosed with, <laughs> I'm going to try to try to pronounce this, laryngomalia, malsia. Okay. Uh, basically I had this when I was a baby it's where your esophagus is still soft and so the connector that kind of decides whether or not you are breathing or eating mm-hmm. has a hard time sitting uh, where you want it to yeah. yeah so you tend to either like when I was just a couple days old right out of the hospital um, my grandma came to visit and I guess my lips turned blue while she was holding me and she freaked out and like gave me back to my mom and my mom ended up actually having to manually put her finger down my throat to like move the flap of skin that was covering my oh yeah I remember you telling me this and like by the time they found 911 found you you were already like they they couldn't find your address yeah they're like we can't dispatch because we don't have an address because my aunt called and she was like uh here it is you know whatever and they're like no that's not true and then my grandpa freaked out and went and flipped over desks at the 911 dispatcher office yes whoops um so i i come by my slight (laughs) slight overreaction naturally (laughs) anywho (laughs) so most babies grow out of this though so it wasn't like a huge concern it was basically just like be aware you know watch him make sure he's breathing right keep him breathing he's fine yeah um so but so they went on as usual Kathy stayed at home with Caleb and Craig went back to work and on February 20th of 1989 only 19 days old the family went to bed as usual and as usual Caleb cried at some point in the middle of the night so Kathy got up she went and fed him so another big like overarching thing for this whole story is Craig is one of those sleepers that does not wake up to anything like it takes a lot to get him to wake up so she's getting up with the babies at night which isn't unusual because if you're breastfeeding like here's my boob I gotta get up anyway what is he gonna do right exactly but he doesn't really I got nipples Greg can you milk me (laughs) can you milk me (laughs) um (laughs) 
So she Sorry. got up, fed Caleb, put him back in his bassinet, and the room, like the nursery, was kind of connected. It was like a connected room to their bedroom. Yeah. So she laid him down and went back to bed herself. Uh, She then says that she woke up again, not too long after that in the night and just got up to check on him because she was awake, you know, Mm -hmm. went to check on him and she leaned into the room and she realized she wasn't hearing any baby noises or breathing. And so she walked over and she put a hand on Caleb's chest and it wasn't moving. So she freaked out and screamed. Craig woke up to her screaming, right? Runs in. He felt the baby who he said was still warm to the touch, but you could, there was no breathing happening. So his lips had turned blue and Craig began to attempt CPR, we'll say, because at this point it wasn't something they taught in the hospital before you sent the baby home as baby CPR. So, which is quite different than regular CPR. Yeah. Cause you gotta like little tiny breaths. And use your fingers, mm-hmm. you know. So he attempted CPR to get him breathing again. And Kathy went to go call, uh, I think it's 000 in Australia. So she called the ambulance. Okay. And it's reported that Craig didn't really know CPR, like I said. Um, and the ambulance got there, and at 3 a.m., um, they attempted to resuscitate Caleb. Uh, Caleb was declared dead though on the scene because there was no getting him breathing again and getting his heart moving again so unfortunately at 19 days old Caleb passed away Um, this was you know obviously a SIDS case they looked at they're like he was awake he ate she laid him down a few hours later she woke up to go check on him and he wasn't breathing and that's kind of just like the telltale signs of SIDS um the police went to the phobic house and questioned them about that night but like I said they assumed it was Sid so they were kind of just like okay we just need to make sure we have a report with everything that happened give us the details what's your story um according to the people around the couple seemed it seemed like Craig was taking this very hard in comparison to Kathy which again could be an attachment issue for her well, and at 19 days, she probably had severe postpartum too. See, and that's, it sounds like it because she also like, it slowly turns into, you notice more aggressive behavior with her. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig literally like his life stopped. He like, couldn't work. He couldn't sleep. He was constantly just crying. And Kathleen returned to work like, real soon afterwards and she didn't really want to talk to Craig about Caleb and she kind of didn't tell anybody about Caleb didn't say anything about it to anybody which everybody thought was strange but you know there's that what is it distancing reactive or whatever disorder and because she didn't have any close contacts like it's not unheard of that people who don't develop that in their early childhood have a hard time developing it as an adult so eventually Craig started going forward with his life and got back to work and you know started the normal routine again uh soon the couple once again found out that Kathy was pregnant so this was a mixed thing they both were very excited but also very nervous because you know that's the scary thing especially when there's not really a reason as to why it's just right you know so when they found out that they they were pregnant they basically like got all brand new stuff for the nursery all different blankets they're like nobody really knew what caused SIDS and what made it happen so they just wanted to start with everything that was like up to date just start fresh yes everything they knew to that point they wanted to switch to like the most safe stuff right and so they got a new crib new blankets and all of that um just to lessen the likelihood of something like that happening again then on june 3rd 1990 patrick david allen fulbig was born okay patrick uh the parents were thrilled uh to have another child and people could tell that they were all very happy but kathy 
wasn't as excited as she seemed. Um, so a big part of this whole case is Kathy's diary. So if you look at an entry from the day that Patrick was born, this is what she wrote. Uh, this was the day that Patrick Allen David Fulvig was born. I had mixed feelings this day, whether or not I was going to cope as a mother or whether I was going to get stressed out like I did last time. I often regret Caleb and Patrick only because your life changes so much and maybe I'm not a person that likes change, but we'll see. So she obviously had mixed emotions about it. Again, like a postpartum kind of thing. That's what I wrote. That's what it sounds question. like. Well, and how far after... I'm sorry, how far after Caleb was born did this happen? So Caleb was born in 89. This was like a year, year and a half after. So she could actually still be showing yeah. effects of postpartum. Right. And I feel like with, she clearly has some like mental instabilities. And mm -hmm. so it could be that she not is prone, but is prone to having with these big changes, having a change in her uh, mental state. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if she was still having a issue with that on top of having another baby now. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Craig was a little bit concerned about Kathy being alone just because she was showing such stressed out. So he didn't work right away. He took like a um, paternity. yeah a paternity leave and stayed home with her to help the baby help with the baby and help around the house and stuff um he pretty much was scared to let Patrick out of his sight because mm -hmm. because of the whole thing so he just never wanted to not be there it seemed like this worked well Patrick was happy and healthy and after a few months um Craig felt like everybody seemed to be coping well everybody was healthy so he went back to work um on October 18th 1990 the two put Patrick to bed and then went to bed themselves once again Patrick cried so Kathy got up to feed him and tucked him back into his bassinet and she then went back to bed again like she did before uh she woke up and went to go check on him and she heard him struggling to breathe, like that raspy. <laughs> uh, so she called Craig into the room. Craig came in and he stopped breathing. So they attempted to start CPR again. Again, haven't learned yet, which I don't understand how you don't go and learn after the mm -hmm. first thing happened. But I'm not here to judge, just saying. Uh, Kathy called the ambulance and that arrived at 4.41 a.m., they put Patrick on oxygen, which he responded well to, and it kind of like animated him a little bit more, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, when arriving at the hospital, the doctors did a bunch of tests on him, and the only abnormality that they found was a large amount of glucose in his urine, which can be, how do they word this? Which can be attributed to some sort of traumatic event. So it, because he had this, somehow a suffocation event whatever mm -hmm. was happening it could have been his body responding to that yeah so Patrick was stabilized in the hospital he his eyes were opened and he seemed like he was doing well then he started having a bunch of seizures and clearly was in pain so the doctors were given consent to give him barbiturates to kind of like calm him and help him um, which is a normal treatment at the time for that, but it's still just like all of this was considered aftermath from this traumatic asphyxiation. Um, they thought maybe they caught like a SIDS attack because they don't know how it happens because usually people just find the baby not breathing. Mm -hmm. um, they thought maybe they caught it mid attack, so they were able to stop it. Either way, though, he had this event that caused brain damage and after this he kind of he became epileptic so he was having epileptic seizures and um they also found out that he was blind a little bit later because of the brain damage and mm -hmm. uh 
So just the lack of oxygen. Kathy didn't seem to be doing well with all of this. She would have angry outbursts at Craig and the baby after they started having all these medical issues. Mm -hmm. The relationship seemed to be extremely strained for uh, the little free time that Kathleen had um, would have Patrick stay with Kathy, which is Craig's sister. So she started handing him to different family members to try to get herself some free time and get them some free time. Um, I know there's a lot of names. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, it's just, there's a lot of Kathy's there. I, that's what I'm saying. Um, Kathy. So she, she loved Kathy, the sister, Kathy, the sister. Um, she loved Patrick to death. And I think she's one that probably would have taken him and taken care of him if they needed her to, mm-hmm. but that wasn't going to happen. So around this time, Kathleen told Craig that she wanted to leave him and Patrick and she, he kind of, they had a big conversation. He was like, okay, I understand that you're frustrated. What can we do to help the situation? Whatever seemed to calm her down and everything seemed to kind of even keel for a little bit. Uh, Patrick seemed to be doing really well. Like obviously he still had seizures. Obviously he was still blind, but he was doing really well medically. They weren't Mm -hmm. concerned about him. Um, but on February 13th, um, 1991, 13th, 18th. Oh, it's because there were two different dates that I read. And so I'm like, why did I write 13, 18? (laughs) So one of those two, um, in 1991, that would change. Craig got up and had breakfast with Patrick and then went to work. So their normal routine was he'd get up and eat breakfast with the kids before he went to work and then would go to work. Kathleen went out to hang clothes while Patrick was taking his morning nap and she decided to stay outside and she said she suddenly had this urge because she was like hanging the clothes and at this time they didn't have a dog but she just spent some time outside and in the fresh air when he was sleeping Mm -hmm. she got this sudden urge to go check on him you know that mother intuition thing and when she went into the room, she noticed that he wasn't breathing. Oh, no. I know all the babies and I, I'm so sorry, everybody. I should have been like, Hey, this has dead babies in it. I feel bad. Um, so she, this is what's weird to me though. She called Kathy or Carol. Cause now they said, Carol, it's the, she called it Craig's sister. Um, and she came over and then they called Craig and by the time he got there, he clearly wasn't alive. He wasn't alive when the sister got over there either. Mm-hmm. Like she, so she had just died. Her? I don't know. I don't know if it's because she thought he was already dead and didn't know if they were supposed to call if he was dead. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't know. I'm confused as to why they didn't call either way. Um, he ended I mean, up I getting kinda, to the- I kind of get why. Kathy wouldn't call if she kind of like shock mode panic yeah I'm just gonna call someone but then when his sister got there and she wasn't breathing or he wasn't breathing I would Mm -hmm. think that she would have called you would think so um either way somehow they either brought him to the hospital or did call and an ambulance came and brought him to the hospital um and it was determined that he had died of an asphyxiation during a seizure so he lost airflow when he had a seizure in his sleep or while he was napping uh craig didn't believe this though because patrick was doing so well like she he's like i just was with him he didn't have any signs of anything because you know at some point you start noticing the things that could show that you're going to be triggering a seizure or whatever right but i mean if he's prone to seizures it this happens. is what i'm saying but at the same time craig is a grieving dad and so he's like this can't it it's unrealistic that this just happened you know um he would come to kathleen with these thoughts and concerns and she'd basically just tell him to accept that he's gone and didn't want to talk about it uh but craig was now getting a little suspicious of Kathy because this is two times that he wasn't even around for things to happen and they happened and it's twice in a row in two years Mm -hmm. uh but Craig 
uh, Kathy seemed fine once again. And the way that she grieved, it was so like, you can't judge how someone grieves, but he's like, I can't even think about anything other than this. And she's just going back to work, going out and socializing and partying, going out dancing with her friends. And, you know, again, he had a hard time and he couldn't hold down a job after this because he just fell into this deep depression and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. But at some point, at some point, Kathy had brought up that she wanted to try to have another baby because she did want to have a baby. She wanted to have a family. And Craig was super hesitant and concerned. Uh, Kathleen told him that she'd leave him if he wasn't willing to do that because she wanted to be a mother. She's like, I want to be a mom. I understand this was hard, but I still want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So he gave in and agreed to have a baby. And while in the process of getting pregnant, they did go to multiple SIDS experts and kind of got um, information and learned everything that they could to prevent it. Uh, They got a sleep apnea mat that would be triggered if the baby that they had stopped breathing so that they could get in there right away and maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. do something about it. And so on October 14th, 1992, which is hilarious because it's only a week after Kate was born. Mm-hmm. My little sister, uh, Sarah Fulbig was born and she was healthy. I'm sorry. She was healthy at birth. And as, I mean, as all of them were, I guess. And the family brought her home to be continued. That's how it ends. No, to be oh. continued. It's a three-parter. Well, I know, but that's how you're ending this. Yeah. One. There's two more kids, man. Oh God. And then there's so a whole bad. process. It's from like 90, 89 to 99 of I bet you guys can guess what happens. Stuff. I know, and it's sad. But these ones, it's 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 really interesting. You guys will just see. I can't give too much away because it's a roller coaster of things because you think and then you think, and then you're like, wait, but maybe not, but maybe yes. I don't know. Cause I switched my point of view on this throughout the research like multiple times because Amanda the end is you with a cliffhanger yeah yeah I did and yeah how you like the blue balls luckily Christina gets to hear the next part tomorrow y'all gotta wait for a whole week oh yeah we're recording tomorrow yeah we are <laughs> yeah we are <laughs> okay all right, kiddos. Well, thanks for listening. You guys are the bee's knees and its elbows. And it's a little round, fluffy butt. You got a nice butt. If nobody's told you today, you got a nice butt. You You're got looking pretty sexy. Looking good. Kid. I like your I like your little dumper. <laughs> well, you got a little you got a little diaper ass over there, huh? Look nice. Dumper on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Spread the word. Spread yourselves. I almost said spread those cheeks. <laughs> this one comes out this week. Um, get your hey, if you haven't gotten your Christmas presents, get your fucking Christmas presents. It's time. Yeah, do it. Do it, Lars. Yeah, the store's gonna be crazy. You're not gonna have anything left to get. I went into Walmart the other day and it was a goddamn nightmare. Also get your Christmas ham because they're going to be gone soon too. What ham did you just slap? Not the ham that I just bought. I slapped the ham to it about an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye guys. Bye.